Exodus 25 and 17. If you found it, say amen. And thou shalt make a mercy seat. Everybody say mercy seat. Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. Of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. Everybody say the mercy seat. And their faces, faces shall look one to another toward the, the mercy seat. Shall the faces of the cherubims be toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the... Some of you got it and some of you don't. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee. And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. He said, there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims. The Bible said that these cherubims, these two wings, these two angels rather, their wings would stretch covering the mercy seat and their faces the Bible said would be toward the mercy seat I want to preach a message this morning titled still mesmerized by mercy still mesmerized by mercy God I pray Lord anoint me to preach help me God to be led by your spirit not enticing words of men's wisdom. But God, I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to speak to us a fresh anointed word from heaven. Let it find good ground in our hearts. Let my heart, God, let me break up the fallow ground of my heart so I can receive the seed of your word. And God, help me to apply faith to believe what you're telling me from the word. In the name of Jesus, have your way. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. And you can be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Still mesmerized. I have always been fascinated with the Ark of the Covenant. For some reason, from the time I was young, there was something about this piece of furniture that God called to be made for the ark has fascinated my mind. I have often looked online, thought about buying a replica, a full-size replica of the ark until I found that they are on sale. They're 50% off on eBay right now. You can buy it for $7,777. 
You better get it while it's on sale. The ark has fascinated me because of its symbolism. It is called by the Bible the Ark of the Covenant because it was the symbol of the covenant that God and his people had with each other. It was the physical representation of his presence and power with his people. It was also called not only the Ark of the Covenant, but the Ark of the Testimony. It represented their relationship with God. When they were in the wilderness, they would take the Ark of the Covenant into battle and God would defend them because God was in covenant, in agreement with them. As God revealed himself to them in the wilderness, he allowed them to add things to the inside of the Ark. In Exodus chapter 16, God commanded Moses to put a pot of manna inside the ark. Manna, the bread from heaven that he provided for them in the wilderness. He said, put some of it in a pot and put that pot of manna in the ark of the covenant because part of our covenant is that I'm going to provide for you. In Exodus 25 and 16, God commanded Moses to put the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments, inside the ark. In Numbers 17, God commanded Aaron and those who opposed Moses and Aaron to place branches cut off of trees inside the holy place of the tabernacle. And God would prove his anointing. And in the morning, all the other branches were still just dead branches. But Aaron's rod had budded new almonds during the night. And so in Numbers 17 and 10, God commanded Moses to put the rod that budded into the ark. The manna represented God's provision and blessing. The tables of stone represented God's law. The rod that budded represented God's authority and the miraculous new life that came. In the ark, in this symbol of God's presence, was provision and blessing and law and spiritual authority and miracles and, thank God, new life inside the ark. All of these elements of the presence of God are powerful, and I'm thankful for all of them. I'm thankful that the God I serve is a blessing God. Amen. I'm thankful that he just keeps right on blessing and blessing and blessing. Amen. He's a way maker, isn't he? Won't he make a way even when it looks like there's no way? Has anybody here ever been blessed by God? Amen. I'm thankful that God's a provider. I've seen him 
make a way when everything looked hopeless. And I'm thankful for the pot of manna, the blessing and the provision of God. And I'm also thankful that God places spiritual authority over our lives. Amen. I'm thankful that he gave me a man of God to teach me and preach to me and pray for me. Amen. I'm thankful that God also is a God of miracles. That if he needs to make a branch bud in the night, he can do it. It's nothing too hard for God to give a miracle. I still serve a healing God. Amen. I don't know who I'm preaching to right now, but if you need a miracle, you came to the right place because miracles are part of our covenant with God. The supernatural is part of what God has coveted with his people to give. Amen. He is a God of miracles. He'll do the impossible for his people. I'm glad that he's a God of new life, that that dead branch cut off from the tree. In the presence of God, new life comes from what's dead. And I'm glad that he still gives new life to dead branches, aren't you? Anybody here was dead in your sin? Far from God without hope and without life? But God put new life in a dead branch. And it didn't take him 10 years to grow a tree to make it bring fruit. He did it in one night. And in one moment in his presence, God can turn your dead works around. Oh, hallelujah. And put new life in somebody. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, he is. There was a time when the Philistines took the ark from Israel and kept it for a season of time. But in the course of time, Israel got the ark back. The Philistines sent the ark back to Israel. And when the priests looked inside of the ark after its foray into Philistine territory, they opened the top. And they pulled off the mercy seat and looked inside the ark. And inside of the ark, the pot of manna was missing. The rod that budded was missing. The Philistines decided that they liked God's provision and God's blessing. And they looked at that rod and they decided we like the supernatural and we like the miracle. But when the priest looked in the ark, the manna was missing and the, the branch was missing, but the law, the tables of stone, was still inside the ark. The Philistines looked and said, we love miracles, and we love the supernatural, and we love the blessings, and we love the provisions. But when they started reading those tables of stone, and it said, all thou shalt not, and thou shalt not, they said, I don't think I like that part. We'll take the miracles and we'll take the provision and we'll take the supernatural, but we'll leave the law of God inside the ark. So they put the law back in and they sent it away. They kept the manna and they kept the miracle, but they sent the law back. Amen. And so it is in modern Christianity that people love the blessings of God and they love the miracles of God and they love the provision of God. And they love the supernatural power of God. But they don't always have a taste for the law of God. But I'm going to tell you, I want the whole covenant with God. I'm not going to take it as a buffet where I just pick what I want and leave what I don't want. 
God, if it's part of the covenant with you, then I'm going to take everything that you have put in the ark. I want all of it. I said, I want all of it. Because that manna will be gone in just a moment. You'll eat it, and it'll be gone. A miracle can come and go. But if you'll get the law of God in your life, it will open a pathway for the blessings of God to continually flow day after day, year after year. Oh, hallelujah. Lord Jesus, help me preach this morning. There is something powerful about the text that we read this morning. The tabernacle and its implements were the pathway that God had chosen for his people to worship him. The tabernacle was how God would interact with his people. He chose the house of God for a place where his people could come and experience his presence. Above the tabernacle, the Bible said that when they set it up in the wilderness, that, it was a, that there was a pillar of cloud by day to provide shade from the burning sun. And in the cold, dark night, there was a pillar of fire to give light and warmth. And the scripture called the tabernacle, it called it the place of meeting. It was where God would meet with Israel. Praise the Lord. The Old Testament was a religious system that was strict and difficult to maintain. There were 613 specific laws in the Torah that had to be kept. There were other rules and statutes and judgments that were also imparted in other places of the Scripture. It was a long list of commandments but the people were required to keep them all. Leviticus chapter 4 had a whole process just for what was called the sin of ignorance. Think about it. If you did something that was wrong that you didn't know was wrong, there, was, there, were, 15, there were 15 specific steps that you had to follow just to take care of a sin that you didn't know was a sin. That's a difficult system to keep. As God was giving the plans for the tabernacle and its implements to Moses, he laid out the plans for the Ark of the Covenant that I have been describing to you this morning. He gave Moses the dimensions by which to make it how long, how high, how wide. He gave Moses the materials that he was to craft it by. But what was above this golden box was really the focal point of all of it. Exodus 25, 17 said, Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. God commanded Moses to make this lid for this box, and the lid was to be called the mercy seat. God was not going to go cheap on the mercy seat. He demanded that the mercy seat be made with pure gold. 
Don't give me some mingled cheap metal. I don't want it made out of some lesser material. But when it comes to the mercy of God, it can only be likened to pure gold. Don't mix gold with some copper or something cheaper. But if you're going to make mercy, mercy is pure gold and there's no way to go around it. It was on this mercy seat. Can I preach to you for a minute this morning? It was on this mercy seat where the priests, what the priests called the Shekinah glory of God. This word Shekinah is, a, is, a, is an obscure Hebrew word. And it means it was the literal presence of God. It was the place where the literal presence of God would come down and meet with them. And God said, I'll meet you. He called the tabernacle, the church, the house of meeting. But then he said, now I'm not just going to meet you anywhere in that house. But if you got to go to the holies of holies behind the veil and on the ark of the covenant, there is this mercy seat. And it's at the mercy seat where I will meet you. The mercy seat was the place where it all happened. When they offered the blood of a spotless lamb on the day of atonement, the blood of that lamb was not sprinkled on the table and it wasn't sprinkled on the candlesticks and it wasn't sprinkled on the altar. The blood of that lamb had to be sprinkled on the mercy seat because God said, that's where I'm going to meet you. And so the blood had to be applied to the mercy seat. The mercy seat was such a powerful place that God commanded Moses to make two angels, two cherubim to stand guard over the presence of God. Pure gold and two angels because it's such an important place where people meet God. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord. I know how many notes I have, so I know I got to stay on task this morning. But if I were going to get off task just a little bit, I would say that there's something about this place that we don't treat this place like we treat every other place. This isn't Walmart. This isn't Dollar General. This isn't your favorite restaurant. This isn't your favorite store. This isn't even your living room at home. This is the place where God has chosen to meet us. Hallelujah. There's something about this place that's different than every other place. And how we treat the house of God reflects how we feel about the God of the house. You can't despise the house of God and not despise the God of the house. Hallelujah. I'll get back on track now. It was just a 30-second detour. If, if your roast burns in an extra 30 seconds, you got it turned up too high anyway. Pure gold and angels to cover it. Exodus 25, 18, And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. One angel at one end. And another angel on the other end. 
their faces turned inward and their, their wings covering the mercy seat because mercy is so valuable that God has commissioned the angels to protect it. Their wings cover the mercy seat. And God told Moses that these two angels will be the caretakers of the mercy seat. And the Bible says in verse 22 of Exodus 25, and there I will meet with thee. That's where I'm going to meet you, is at the mercy seat. Because if you meet me anywhere else, then there's, there's no guarantee you can survive. Because it takes mercy to meet with God. If you meet me at the altar, the fire might consume you. But if you'll meet me at the mercy seat, that's where I'm going to meet you. Because there's something powerful about mercy. I can't stand before God on my own merits. And I can't stand before God on my own righteousness. I can never be good enough to approach God. I can never be holy enough to stand in his presence. I can never do right enough to be able to stand in his presence. That's why he said, I'll meet you at the mercy seat because what you can't do, I'll make up the difference for you. Woo, hallelujah. Oh, what a powerful experience it must have been to stand before the Ark of the Covenant at the mercy seat and God would come down in the holies of holies and from between those angels on the mercy seat, God would begin to speak to Moses and to Aaron. And verse 20, let's go back to verse 20. It says, and the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat. And their faces are turned inward toward the mercy seat, the Bible said. Shall the faces of the cherubims be towards the mercy seat. The angels' eyes, their faces, are transfixed on the mercy seat. There's a strong feeling among the highest-ranking rabbis and leaders of the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. There's a strong feeling that they know exactly where the Ark of the Covenant is at to this day, being hidden until the time of the rebuilding of the Temple. If that's the case then wherever that ark is at this point, those angels are still looking at the mercy seat of God. All of these centuries and millennium that have passed by from the book of Exodus until now, those angels' eyes are eternally locked on the mercy seat of the living God. They still gaze and stare at the mercy of God. What is it about mercy? that has these angels locked in a mesmerized gaze. May I tell you, according to Jude, verse number six, the Bible says that the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. When Lucifer rebelled in heaven, a third of the angels followed Lucifer in his rebellion. 
And the Bible said that those angels that didn't keep their first position, that's what estate means, that they didn't keep their first task, their first job. It said these angels are locked in everlasting chains and darkness forever, never to be forgiven, never to have their sins forgiven. But the moment they fell, they have eternally been locked in judgment, waiting until the day of the Lord. No mercy. No grace, no mercy, no forgiveness. Makes me want to dance. Never to be forgiven. Never to be restored. But those angels that fell are eternally locked. There'll never be a day when they'll ever have their sin washed away. Those angels... They watched, the angels of the Lord watched as these fallen angels were locked into chains forever. And then they watched as Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the garden. And these angels expected that God would judge Adam and Eve with the same fiery indignation. And when God walked into the garden in the cool of the day, the angels held their breath expecting the wrath of God to be poured out. But rather than God judging Adam and Eve, God instead makes coats of skins to cover their sin. And when st- instead of man being judged, God provides mercy for Adam and for Eve. And the angels watch in amazement. They had expected judgment, but what they found was the first expression of the mercy of God. It was, now I believe, this is my personal belief. I'm trying to hurry, but I don't want to hurry too fast because I'll mess up some of your sleep. I personally believe that the animals, the animals that that God killed in the garden to make the coats for Adam and Eve, I believe they were lambs. Because it follows the type throughout the whole scripture. He sacrificed these animals to cover Adam and Eve's sin and nakedness. And the angels couldn't believe what they had just seen. Because they had watched Satan when he fell like lightning from heaven. Cast out at 186,000 miles per second. And now they stand back. And instead of judgment on man, God shows mercy for the very first time in the history of the world. And these angels have wondered about it in 1 Peter 1 and 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us did they minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. That have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost. Everybody say the Holy Ghost. Sent down from heaven. The apostle wrote that there's two things, the gospel, everybody say the gospel, and the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The angels, they've seen the expanse of the universe. The angels have watched as God has kept the planets and the earth in motion and in balance. But when they see the gospel preached, among men, and the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Those are two things that they desire to look into. 
They want to understand the gospel and the Holy Ghost because they saw that their cohorts were thrown out of heaven, reserved in everlasting chains of darkness. But when it comes to man, God has shown mercy by giving the gospel and the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. The angels want to look into it. The angels want to see it. They're fascinated by something to the point that they can't look away. The angels watched as God violently hurled Lucifer like lightning from heaven. They remembered when the angels that left their first estate were reserved in everlasting chains of darkness. But then they watched man sin and they watched as God gave them mercy. And it's two things the angels desire to look into. Can I tell you that every time you hear the gospel preached, you ought to thank God and say amen because the angels wish they had a gospel. And every time the Holy Ghost moves in a service and you feel the touch of the Spirit of God and God baptizes somebody with the Holy Ghost, you ought to just wave your hand and say, thank God for the Holy Ghost sent from heaven because the angels would like to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. It's two things the angels are mesmerized by. They can't get their eyes off the mercy of God. I've often wondered, I'm, 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 I'm coming to a, I'm not, I'm not coming that fast to a close. That's just to make you feel better. <laughs> but I'm not that serious about it right now. I've often wondered why the angels couldn't be forgiven. I've, I've, I've preached it here a time or two. But I, it, it bothered me. Brother David, it bothered me growing up. Why, why could I be forgiven? But the angels couldn't be forgiven. Anybody ever wonder that besides me? I see Daniel's nodding his head, but he nods his head all the time. Anybody, I don't know if he's nodding his head at me or just anybody beside. I've wondered, God, why could the angels not be forgiven? Why is it that every time that I've fallen short and I've sinned, that all I had to do was find my way to the mercy seat and say, God, forgive me. And you let the gospel preached among men and the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Have you ever wondered how, that why when you've been out and you know you messed up and you know you didn't do what you were supposed to do, but you came to the house of God and lifted your hands and he baptized you with the Holy Ghost one more time. Amen. And you think, God, why? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Why do you keep on pouring the Holy Ghost on me? Why, God, when you come and we, I just got a report. Thank God for these men. I want all the men that have been going into the prisons the last few weeks and months to stand real quick. If you've been in the prison over the last few, not, not, a, not an inmate. I'm talking about you went in to help. Marshall, I know good and well you were there to help. Look, look at these guys playing music, singing, preaching, praying, teaching Bible studies. Seven more men baptized in Jesus' name in the prison on Thursday night. Amen. I think that's 155 since last October in the prison baptized in Jesus' name. Do you think the angels look down in that prison and say, why? Why are you baptizing them with the Holy Ghost? Why are you, it's things angels desire to look into. 
I wonder if somewhere in eternity the angel said, why, why can that murderer be filled with the Holy Ghost? And when I, I don't remember why. I think it was the Tennessee prison that we went to some time ago. They let us go into the, into the, the very inner part of the prison where the only, the only female on death row in the state of Tennessee is, is, is in that in that hold, and they let us go. All the other prison, they let us pretty much have the run of the place. But when we went into that particular block, the doors are, are, are solid steel, and they've got a little wedge of glass. And they, 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 you would put the, they, the ladies that are in that, they'll never get out. They would put their hand on that little piece of glass, and they would want you to put your hand on the glass. It's the closest they come to human contact. And, and they talk to you through, they put their mouth close to the, the door. In that, in that, in that door, they, that, that thick door, they put their mouth right up to it and they talk to you. And you got to put your ear next to the crack in the door so you can hear what they say. But I watched in that cell block as one of the ladies behind that door was baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I wonder if the angel said, why? Why does she get the Holy Ghost? Because that's something the angels want to look into. Why? I wonder if the angels walk the halls of the prison and wonder why have these 155 men had the privilege of hearing the gospel and their sins washed away, but yet the angels that left their first estate are reserved with everlasting chains in darkness forever awaiting the judgment of God. Why couldn't the angels be forgiven? But man, murderers and rapists and molesters, the worst of all time. I remember we were in Indiana and I was pastoring there and one of the ways we grew our church was we, we took vans to the, the jail and they would let those that are lined up for work release get on the van and come to church and we'd give them a sandwich after church and feed them a little bit. They got to get out of the cell for a while in the evening. They would come to church on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights. And we'd bring them, these prisoners. And one particular guy, one particular prison, he's a big old rough-looking character. And he would sit back with his arms folded and stare at me while I preached. And just give me, I thought he was giving me the stink eye, but I don't know if he was or not. He just was a rough-looking cat. And, and I'd preach and he'd just sit there and then... After a few services, after a few, maybe a few weeks of services, I started noticing while I'd preach, he'd get a tear to run down his cheek. And I'd preach, and that big old guy, he'd sit on that little back row, and he would have his arms crossed, and he'd stare at me. But I would see that tear come down his face. And then the next week I'd preach again and then before long it got to be that while I'd preach he had tears coming down both and he would never come to the altar and he would never come pray. And so finally I, I went back to him one day and I said, I called him by his name, I said, I've watched you as you've sat in church and you've cried service after service but you won't come to the altar. Why won't you come pray? And he broke down and he said, Pastor, you don't know the kind of life I've lived. He said, when I was in Detroit, he said, somebody beat up my cousin. He said, so I walked into their house one night and I put a temple, I put my pistol to the temple and I pulled the trigger and I killed that man. And there is no way that I can never be forgiven. And I told him, I, I opened the Bible and I told him the story of David 
and how David was responsible for Uriah. And I told him how Paul, how Paul helped in the stoning of Stephen and carried papers to persecute. And I said, if God would forgive them, then God will forgive you. <laughs> Hallelujah. And we put him in that baptistry. And when we marched him down those steps in that water, in just a few minutes, he was going back to the jail. In just a few minutes, he was going to go back to the cell. But in that moment, we put him down in Jesus' name. And when he come up, it's like a rocket shot up out of that water with his hands up, saying, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. I'm telling you that the angels... The angels probably stood back and said, why can he be forgiven? They're mesmerized. Why him? I wonder if the angels said, God, why him? Here, it was, it was 32 years ago. I was, had been seeking God for that because it bothered me. God, why could the angels not be forgiven? Why, why, can, why can man, the worst of all men, can be forgiven, but the angels can't? And I felt like the Lord answered me that the angels could not be forgiven because their sins were committed in an eternal realm. Time was invented by God for his interaction with humanity, with humans. It's a measure of eternity given to man to seek God. During time, man is to forge a relationship with God. During time, man is to worship, serve, and live for God. Time is the season that God has designated humanity to decide if they want to live for him and serve him. But for all of us, there comes a moment when our time on earth ceases. The angels were eternal beings who committed their sins in eternity. Therefore, their sins are eternal with no forgiveness. And that's why they look at man. And when man takes the time to approach the mercy seat and ask forgiveness from God, that regardless of what he may have done and regardless of what life may have been like, when that man approaches the mercy of God in time, as long as man has time, he can be forgiven. But if man ever crosses from time into eternity with his sins, those sins become eternal to never be removed. And the angels want to hear the gospel preached. If what I understand from the Bible is accurate, there are angels filling the unseen dimension of this room. If what I believe I see in the Bible, there are angels in this very room right now. And you know what those angels want? They don't care if I preach healing or not. They don't care if I preach miracles or not. The angels don't care if I preach blessings or not. But the angels sit, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. 
Tell somebody how to avoid everlasting chains and darkness. Tell somebody how to avoid a lake of fire. Preach the gospel and tell them that if they'll repent of their sins today and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and be filled with the Holy Ghost, that the blood that ran down that ancient cross is still powerful enough to restore the worst sinner. Preach the gospel. Tell somebody you don't have to be lost. You don't have to be bound. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to be a sinner. Preach the, the angel say, I, I want to hear the gospel preached. And so when a man dirty from his sins, guilty, comes to the mercy seat, the angels desire to look into it. They're amazed, Bishop Wilson. They're amazed at how a sinner that's invested their whole life in sins and addictions and everything else can drag themselves to an altar after years of sin and in just a moment of time at the mercy seat, the gospel can wash white as snow. And then as they lift their hands to heaven, the angels watch as the Holy Ghost begins to move in the house of God. Can I tell you, the angels don't care if we have a 4th of July party. The angels don't care if we sell t-shirts and mugs. The angels don't care about all the activities we do around it. But the angels say, have a move of the Holy Ghost. Have the move of the Holy Ghost. Let the Holy Ghost move. Let the Holy Ghost move. The angels say, what I want to watch is when the Holy Ghost comes down in a room and somebody that's been empty for their whole life is filled with the glory of God. Let the Holy Ghost move. It's the things the angels are mesmerized by. And eternally they gaze into the mercy of God. Almost done preaching. And I mean it this time. I too, I too am mesmerized by mercy. My holiness living is not because it's demanded by God, the Bible, or the preacher of the church. I live the way I do because I'm mesmerized by the mercy of God. That a God that great and gracious would come to me so dirty and lowly. So far from him and so unlike him in so many ways. But yet that God of heaven would come down and touch me with the power of his spirit. And fill me with the Holy Ghost. How could I do anything else but serve him? You don't have to beg me to lift my hands in worship. How could I do anything else to a God that I'm so mesmerized by because I was lost and in sin with no hope without God in this world. But you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins having no hope. But now in Christ Jesus because of the mercy of God, the Holy Ghost, my worship is not because I feel like it's expected I worship because I'm still mesmerized by his mercy. Amen. 
I never want to lose the awe and respect and thankfulness for God who mercifully picked me up out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock. The angels desire to look into what you and I have. The angels wish they could have what you and I have. The angels wish that they could raise their hands and the Holy Ghost fall. And here we are in the presence of God with unlimited access to his spirit. And yet we must be forced and pushed to respond to him. But not me, God. I'm still mesmerized by your mercy. I'm still in awe. I'm still in awe that when I was a teenager, you baptized me with the Holy Ghost. I'm still in awe that you washed my sins away. I want you to lift your hands all over this place. I'm going to tell you what the angels want. The angels want somebody to repent. The angels want somebody to be baptized in Jesus' name. The angels want somebody to be filled with the Holy Ghost. The angels want a backslider to come back and lift their voice and begin to worship God. The angels want somebody to interact with the Spirit of God. They're curious. They're mesmerized by the mercy of God. Lift your hands to heaven all over this place. The Spirit of the Lord is dealing with hearts. You may be tempted to say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. I'm too far gone. I've done too much. I've failed too many times. Preacher, there's no mercy for me. I've messed up so much. I'm beyond the reach of the Spirit of God. And all I would tell you is that the angels are mesmerized by a God that looks beyond our faults and sees our need. so amazed, God, that in all my faults and all my mess-ups and all my sinfulness, God, I'm amazed at your mercy that found me. As your eyes are closed all over this place, you ought to thank God for his mercy. His mercy that found me. His mercy. The Bible said the Lord God is merciful. The Bible said that he is rich in mercy. But Steve, you know why I don't, I scared you that time, didn't I? I scare him every Sunday on accident. You know why I don't have a $7,777 Ark of the Covenant? Can't afford it. Simple. I can't pay that much for that. But the Bible said that God is rich 
in mercy. Aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't say he's rich in judgment? But he's rich in mercy. Steve, how, how long were you away from God? 35 years. Aren't you glad that God didn't go bankrupt in mercy during those 35 years? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I'm so thankful that God didn't go bankrupt in all those years, but that he's still rich in mercy. 35 years go by. Wonder how many businesses went bankrupt in 35 years. Wonder how many fortunes were lost in 35 years. How many stock, how many companies' stocks tanked in those 35 years and they're not there? Enron's not there. They were there 35 years ago. They're not there now. All these things that didn't make it for 35 years, but yet here we are, 35 years later, and God is still rich in mercy. Oh, thank God. Thank God that when Steve was a Sunday school boy, God touched him with mercy. And though he was away for 35 years, there was still enough mercy. I'm mesmerized by it. I'm amazed by it. I don't know how he does it. I can't figure it out. But I'm sure glad that he does it. that can hop down the aisles like you can aren't afraid to be brought out. How long were you away? Over 20 years, a, a pastor's son raised in a Holy Ghost church under one of the greatest preachers and pastors that I've ever known, his dad, Brother Tony Carson, raised at a buffet, at a spiritual buffet. If any man knew how to have a move of God, your dad knew how to have a move of God. Your dad your dad could pray a fence post through the Holy Ghost, it seemed like. I mean, they're, they're, they're raised at a buffet of apostolic ministry. And you walk out from a buffet to live in a pig pen. But after 20 years, aren't you glad that all those 20 years that you went bankrupt, but God didn't go bankrupt. He's still rich in mercy. I'm still mesmerized by it. I'm still amazed. David and I, David and I dated twin, twin girls. I had the prettier one, he had the meaner one. Yeah, that's right. We dated twins, we got to be friends. I preached for his dad out in New Mexico. David, I watched as your life began to fall apart. I watched as sin got a hold of you. You had, a, you had a scholarship to college. He was playing football, going to medical school. He's a big old, he's scrawny now. He ain't near like this. But, uh, but <laughs> touch not mine at home. But David, I remembered as a teenager, is not, not, and I watched as you began to get further from God. And, I, and, and, and the next thing you know, man, he is, he is out in the world. He, I'm not embarrassing him. He, he tells his testimony more than I. He gives more details than I do. That's why I'm giving him because some of the details I don't want him out on Sunday morning. 
But I watched him as he slid into that world and the devil just wrung him out and tore him down. David, I, every time that I watch you worship down these aisles, I watch Sunday night as you came bunny hopping down that aisle. I don't know how you got back there, but I watched you as you got up here. And, and Brother Wilson, I was amazed again at how far God brought David back from where he was. I'm still mesmerized by it. It doesn't get old to me. I'm still amazed at a God that's rich in mercy. Mississippi, full of the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. I'm going to tell you how. The angels wanted to see it, but they watched as the mesmerizing mercy of God reached down and pulled her out of sin and brought her. I'm, I love the way you worship. Don't ever stop because I'm mesmerized by how God reached down of craziness carrying on but she knew that when Steve got here she knew it was exactly what he needed to get his life together and it wasn't long was it till you got baptized with the Holy Ghost Mesmerized. I'm mesmerized by it can I preach a minute you know how far were we how this 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 young man's grandfather is one of the most powerful preachers in Pentecost preaching at general the largest conferences and camp meetings and he's out there doing every kind of drug that you can imagine with that heritage in his background his dad a pastor his grandfather a pastor and a leader so far from God but he told me he was out there working on a paving crew and so far from God that God is still dealing with him while he's in sin it's that mesmerizing mercy of God that finds somebody on a paving crew and says you don't belong here you don't belong in that kind of life and so the mercy of God just brings him back a backslider raised in a Pentecostal church playing college baseball and living far from God but while in school the Holy Ghost gets a hold of him and says you need to get back in church and get your life right I'm mesmerized I'm, me I'm mesmerized here's a man raised here's a man that was from a good apostolic church married a lady that had kept herself for years and then in the course of time, gets away from God, leaves his family. For a year, his wife, she sat over there at the time, but she left a seat empty. Service after service, she left the seat empty. Saying, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. He didn't think he was coming back. But I, but I watched as the mercy of God 
reached down and on a it was a Sunday morning, I believe. I think he, he comes he comes all the way down the aisle and he doesn't stop at the seat. He comes all the way to the altar and he comes back and he gives his life to God and then he's instrumental in going in the prison and reaching people because I'm still mesmerized by it. You understand the message I'm preaching this morning? I'm still amazed. I'm still amazed. Bobby, Bobby comes from, from good stock. His, he, his sister, he calls you his grandmother, but I know you're his aunt. But you've loved him like a grandmother. And his actual grandmother, faithful to church for years, worship, she loved to worship God. She loved to worship God. Bobby's parents aren't living for God. His dad, I count his dad as a good friend, but his dad's not living for God. Bobby shouldn't be in church right now. You all, you all see him up there singing and you see him going around the church doing whatever. You don't know all the stuff he's had to climb over to get himself to the house of God. But God looked. You can stand or sit. I, it's up to you. But I want to give just a little bit of his testimony. Bobby quit school because Bobby had to work as a kid to provide for himself. Am I telling the truth? So he quit school to go to work. Bobby didn't quit school because he's dumb. Bobby quit school because he had to make a way for himself. But Bobby went and got his GED. And then, I'm just bragging a little bit. And then he took his ACT and he scored so high that now he's in college, but he doesn't have to pay for it. That's one reason I'm mesmerized by the mercy of God. I'm mesmerized how God can reach down. Hey, everybody in this place ought to be standing because God had to do something for every one of us to be here. Everybody in this place ought to say, thank God for mercy. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. I know you were away from God, raised in church, got away, got into drugs and drinking all kinds of stuff. But he got to was watching online, weren't you? He was, he was watching online service. Hey, I want all you camera folks and all the people that sit in the back and mix the video and all the ones that run the sound, I want to tell you thank you because there was a backslider in Memphis that watched a service one day and God got a hold of his heart. And God brought him to the house of God. And now he's filled with the Holy Ghost. Worships. Comes to the prayer room. Married to a good apostolic young lady. I'm mesmerized. Come here, Craig and Kenyon. You knew I was working my way over there. You, he tells his testimony all the time. 20 years away from God or more. In all kinds of drugs. His wife, just dealing with best she could, raising those boys. Amen. He had a wife that wouldn't quit praying and a mama that wouldn't quit praying. And now he won't quit praying because it's the mercy of God. It's that long-reaching, ever-loving, 
never failing. Mercy of God. All my life, you have been faithful. Sister Wilson, do you have a singing voice this morning? Do you have enough to do? Do you have enough to try? I think we got enough to try. I'm the pastor. That was, that was easy. Brother Casey, you were away from God. And God baptized you with the Holy Ghost. What an awesome. Amen, Sister Peggy. filled you with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Sam and Doe, I'll never forget you at your lowest when I sat in your house on the worst day of your life. But I'll never forget a few months ago when you came down that aisle and you went up there about where Bobby's standing and God baptized you with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And then he brought her sister. Go on up there. Go on up there with the two sisters. Then her sister came. And then it wasn't long her husband came. And her son came. And her daughter's out there. <laughs> Hallelujah. You might as well get up there too. You and your mom. Do you understand what I'm preaching this morning? What I'm preaching is there's nobody in this place that's beyond the reach of the merciful hand of God. If the devil's telling you that you've gone too far, that you don't, that you can't make it, that you can't, you ought to just say, God, I believe that mercy is enough. His grace is enough. Oh, why don't you lift your hands? If you were away from God or if you need God now, you ought to come to an altar and you ought to say, thank God for mercy. Thank God. I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will see of the goodness of God
driving down the road in Holly Springs and somebody opened fire on her vehicle. Bullets everywhere. She had a wound on her arm, but God's mercy was with her and brought her through. We celebrate a year later because the mercy of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, and every one of us, every one of us could have been gone. Every one of us could have been lost. Every one of us could have been away. But here we are in the presence of God. We ought to praise Him because His goodness is running after us. dismiss this service. I pray that God would have his way in your family this morning. Let's not forget our meet and greet that's going to be directly after service. We're also going to have service tonight at 630 and and prayer at 6. So let's make it out early for prayer. And you're dismissed in the mighty name of Jesus. God bless you.